I've been doing every day on Facebook, I've been doing uh, what I'm calling a daily encouragement, okay? And uh, I'm enjoying just not trying to find deep theological points, but practical encouraging scriptures. Maybe just practical encouraging Christian advice about prayer, about seeking God, about being faithful, about being uh, um, uh, and what to do when we feel like giving up, you know, what we're supposed to do when we feel that way. And the answer is pray. Amen. I was in a room full of pastors at the hospital today and the hospital administrator whom we need to pray for and pray for all the people that are still working through this pandemic at the hospital. It's very hard on them. And he said, I think that right now, at the very least, we need to be praying. And I challenged every person in that room that prayer is not the least that we can do. As a matter of fact, prayer is the absolute only way in the New Testament that we're told we receive anything from God. Prayer is the only method of receiving from God that we see in the New Testament. He said, he did not say, when you're worried, just worry about what's bothering you. He didn't say, speak to your problems that they might go away. He didn't say, bear your own burdens. What am I supposed to do when I'm heavy, when I'm uh, uh, downtrodden and heavy laden, carrying burdens that I cannot bear? What am I supposed to do? Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. How do I go to Christ? In prayer. How do I go to the Father? How do I? And Jesus didn't say, when, you, when, you, when you're sick, just speak healing. Is that what the Bible teaches? If you're sick, just speak healing? No. The Bible's remedy, it says, is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church that they might anoint him with oil and they might pray. Amen? What did Paul say? Pray always with all kinds of prayers and supplications, right? Philippians, we, I talked about Philippians where, where uh, we're, we're supposed to be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication make our requests known unto God. Amen? Jesus taught a parable that men should pray, always pray, and not faint. Do you want to feel like you're not fainting? Maybe you need to pray. Because prayer is absolutely what we're called to do as Christians. Period. When Peter went to jail, what they do? Pray. When Paul was in trouble, what they do? Pray. When there was sick, what they do? Pray. When there was trouble, what they do? Pray. After the after the three thousand men and women uh, or the three thousand men were saved on the day of Pentecost, 
The very next chapter, Peter and, and all of the church pray and say, God, give us more grace. Give us a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit that we might go out with boldness. How did they get that? By prayer. How did the, how did the apostles give the Holy Spirit away? It wasn't just laying on of hands. They prayed that they might receive the Holy Spirit. That's what it says, right? We pray, and we pray, and we pray. Prayer is not the last resort. It should be the first. Prayer is not some kind of uh, 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 secondary weapon. It's not some kind of, uh, uh, of, of meaningless gesture. Prayer is the very thing that God commands us to do in the New Testament. And for us to act as if prayer is somehow less or a lesser importance than anything else is we're not viewing prayer right because prayer is what Christians should fundamentally do in every situation it should be instinctual for us to pray because we know that prayer is how I receive from God prayer is how you're going to receive from God Prayer for you is what's called for. Prayer for the lost is what's called for. Prayer that other people might hear the gospel is what's called for. You want revival? Maybe you ought to be praying about it. You want a renewal of people in, in church? Maybe you ought to be praying about it. We do a whole lot of community outreach, and we do a whole lot of trying to reach out to the community, but we do very little praying We know that on the day of Pentecost, they were up there praying. We know after the day of Pentecost, they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. Every time you see a bad situation happening, the church begins to pray. Paul and Silas are in jail. The church is praying. Paul and Silas are praying and singing praise to God in the midnight hour. What are they doing? Peter's in jail. The church is praying for Peter. Somehow in modern day Christianity, prayer is like, well, you know, we didn't pray about it, but. It's not a pray about it, but. Prayer works. Prayer will change you or prayer will change the situation, one or the other. And it's God that does both. God commands us to pray. And if we're dumb enough to believe the idea that prayer doesn't work, we're missing the fact that, yes, God is sovereign and God is the only thing that causes anything to happen in anybody's life. But guess what one of the means is by which God uses to work out his sovereign plan? Prayer. Or else we wouldn't do it. Prayer is important. Prayer is what Abraham does. We're going to talk about Genesis chapter 21, the first eight verses tonight. We're going to talk about, I, I, I titled this Heirs of Abraham. Okay? Heirs of Abraham. Now we're going to be talking about Isaac, who is the seed 
promised to Abraham and Sarah, but he is just the beginning of the fulfillment of God's plan for his people to inherit the land, okay? And we'll get into New Testament application. <coughs> Excuse me. We'll get into New Testament application of this before we're done. And I'm going to get through it pretty quick because it's only eight verses and I don't want to be here all night. I know you guys have dinner you want to eat and I have a recliner calling my name. But God's word and God's house is where we're at and what we're about right now. And we will not skimp on anything we're called to do for God. Amen. We're going to do everything we can for God with all of our heart, all of our mind and all of our strength. Amen. So, chapter 21 of Genesis, we're going to begin reading at verse 1. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken of him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac, his son, was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given him uh, given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. Now, let us pray. Father God, we ask for your wisdom. Help us, Lord, in discerning these texts. Lord, help us to understand the magnitude and the grandeur of what is happening in these short eight verses, God. That you are not a man that sh you should lie, nor the son of man that you should repent. God, you said it, and you did it, and you are faithful to complete the promises that you have made. And Lord, we know because of this faithfulness and the faithfulness of the seed that was to come, which is Christ, you have fulfilled all of your promises, that all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen, that you have fulfilled that promise to Abraham and all through all that have faith in Christ are also heirs with Abraham. Father, we ask that you'd help us tonight discern this with renewed zeal, a renewed understanding, and help us, Lord, to hold fast to the faith that we find evident in this verse. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, this chapter starts out very large, okay? There's a lot that goes into the first few verses here. But I want you to notice, first of all, that the author of life is God. Okay? 
The author of life is God. For had not God visited Sarah, who had a barren womb, no life would have been born in her womb. This speaks to the very fact that God is sovereign over all life on this planet. God does not simply, uh, let me rephrase this, human beings are not just simply accidentally born into this world. Okay? God purposely, willfully, knowingly, sovereignly allows and dictates and commands, commends, has a personal responsibility for every human being born into the world. No one is born by chance. And every person born is born to glorify God. To glorify God in his righteousness. And if they do not believe in Christ, to glorify God in his judgment. But the same is still glory to God. Do you understand that God's judgment is glory to his justice? It's glory to his uh, 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 judgment. His holiness demands that there be an accounting for sin. Amen? Sin must be judged because God is holy and righteous and just and because God is holy righteous and just when God brings judgment even to wicked sinners it glorifies God's justice righteousness and holiness it's not an injustice for God to judge sin you see that's the 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 line that is thrown out to to Christians today is how could a loving God send anyone to hell because their only definition of God being glorified is what they consider good but they don't they don't consider the judgment of God a good thing but we know that God is good that's his nature he's altogether good so everything that God does is good, even his judgment. Everything that God does is righteous, even his judgment. Therefore, his judgment glorifies his justice, his holiness, his righteousness. Amen? God is the author of life. And had he not visited Sarah, Sarah would not have borne the son to I or to Abraham and the Lord did just as he had spoken how does where did God speak this I want to go back and read a few verses go to chapter 17 verses 15 and 16 Genesis chapter 17 verse 15 it says and God said unto Abraham for Sarah Sarai excuse me she had not become Sarah just yet this is happening right now and God said unto Abraham, For Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will 
bless her. I want you to get that. Now we've moved from Abram just being blessed to now because of the seed of promise, because the seed had to come through Sarah's womb and Abraham's seed, Sarah now is being blessed. Okay? And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she will be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And said in his heart, Shall a child be born un, uh, unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he begot, uh, beget, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time next year. So now we have a time frame, right? Not only do we have a time frame, we have absolute unequivocal evidence. Number one, you're going to name him Isaac. Sarah's going to give birth to him. I'm blessing her. She's going to bring out a son. Not only that, is kings shall come from her. Kings of people shall come from her is what it says, right? He makes certain that the covenant is coming through Isaac. Go to 18, chapter 18, verse uh, 9. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah, uh, Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything... Too hard for the Lord. At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. And then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for I was afraid. Uh, I laugh not, for she, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but you did laugh. So in both instances where God pronounces the birth of Isaac, Abraham laughed, Sarah laughed, and let's be honest, we may have very well have laughed as well, okay? Because how weak and feeble is our trust in what God can do with the least of us? Just think about it for a minute. 
Because normally our, oh yeah, God can do something great with them. Normally, that's the thought process, right? And when it comes to us and God using us and doing something with us, the thought is, surely God can't do nothing great with me. You know what I mean? That's, that's the normal, real thought process of someone who honestly looks at their self the way the Bible talks about human beings. Amen? And we go, what on earth could God really do with me? And I love both of those stories. Number one, it shows that Abraham and Sarah both thought it impossible that God could do something like that when they're as old as they are. Abraham offers up Ishmael. He's like, what about Ishmael? Why do we got to wait for this other kid to come along, right? Like, I'm way older than I was 10 years ago. How in the world is this going to happen, right? Sarah laughs. She says, it says that it ceased to be with her the, the, what, what happens with women. Her womanhood was gone in her opinion. You know what I mean? It's, she's way past childbearing age. You know, that kind of thing is not even uh, in her thought process that it could happen, right? But that's why this is so amazing, okay? Because even though Sarah doubted, and laughed, even though Abraham doubted and laughed, right? Now, did he believe Abraham? It says the New Testament says that he 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 didn't even waver, right? I think the New Testament is very gracious to our father Abraham. <laughs> Amen. Through the eyes of understanding the feebleness of men, Abraham didn't waver. But if we were going to weigh that in the balance of reality, did Abraham ever waver? Sure, he tried to, you know, plan B was first, what, Eleazar, and then plan B was Ishmael, right? Sarah's plan B was Hagar. Amen? But we see that Abraham continued to trust God. He might have laughed. But he still trusted God. Notice what Abraham does. Okay, I want you to get this so that you don't think that I'm just making this up. Although Abraham laughed and might have had a moment's thought of no way, right? I want you to notice what Abraham does, okay? Uh, where did I see this when I was looking at it earlier? Um... <laughs> let me go back I read it I'm pretty sure I would have underlined it okay well, let me look at it <laughs> where does it say it I was reading it earlier, and Abraham fell down on his face every time God made a promise. I'm trying to find it. I read it earlier. I was reading it today. Well, it would help if I get back to the chapters I was reading earlier. 
Oh, okay. When they, when they got there and began to talk to him, Abraham falls on his face, okay? Uh, verse, uh, chapter 17, and when Abraham was 99 years and nine, the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said unto Abraham, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. I will make my covenant between me and thee and I will multiply thy seed exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, for behold, and then he, he gets done making the promise to him again and Abraham falls down on his face again when God makes the promise, okay? Uh, Abraham absolutely believed God. Now he still had a, a human side that says, yeah, right. Okay, like how's that gonna happen? We can't mistake how's that going to happen with unbelief, okay? Because that's not unbelief. That is astonishment about, I don't know how you're going to do this, God, right? There's a difference between saying, I don't know how you're going to do this, and I don't believe that you're going to do this. There's a huge difference, right? So when the New Testament talks about Abraham never wavering, it's saying that he never believed God couldn't or wouldn't do it. He just didn't know how God was going to do it. Amen? He didn't see how God was going to use him and Sarah being as old as they are, okay? And Sarah's words in 18 where she said, I'm waxed old, okay? Like, that's a very uh, uh, colorful way of her saying that, right? I'm waxed very old, she said, okay? So God appoint, God shows up and says, as he had spoken, okay? I want you to get to number verse 2. For Sarah conceived and Abraham bare a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken. Now we read that just a minute ago. He said a year from now. That was in chapter 17, correct? And then in chapter 18, when Sarah's told, this same time next year, or at the appointed hour, or the time of life, right? We talked about that phrase, at the time of life, right? However long it takes for her to conceive and have this child, right? When it starts, the conception time is going to be when God said it was, right? God had an appointed time for Isaac. This also points to God's sovereignty in the authorship of, of life. God being the author of life has a set time for our entrance into the world and our exit of the world, right? It's appointed unto man once to die, right? So we have appointed time to come into the world and we have an appointed time to leave the world. Uh, I want to read a, ver or a note here from the Reformation Heritage Study Bible. It says this, as he had said, as he had spoken at the set time of which God had spoken, the word of God proves true in all its details. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 30. We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 30. Verse 5. 
Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. And thou shalt not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou shalt be found, and thou shalt not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Two things I have required of thee. Deny me not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and shall steal and take the name of God in vain. The word of God is true and trustworthy, and he's trusting God here not to make him poor or rich, but to give him only the things that are going to be necessary for him that will help him continue in his walk with God and glorifying God, right? The point of this is that God's word is always faithful and you can trust him. What does the ESV say in chapter uh, 30, verse 5? Read it real loud so the camera can hear you. Every word of God proves true. Every word of God proves true. Don't want to get confused sometimes with this King James language. That word pure means true in the sense that God's word is pure and true, trustworthy, right? Every word of God is true, can be trusted, right? And when you read it that way, it makes sense that he is a shield to them that put their trust in him. Why? Because his words are true. He is faithful, right? God is faithful to finish the work he started. And he's proving it right now in chapter 21 of Genesis when he comes to Sarah. Not only does he visit Sarah as the author of life to begin the process because the Lord had spoken this is what he was going to do. He also shows up right at the appointed time. Why? Because God is true and he fulfills every detail of what he promises. Amen. Number three, or verse three. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah had bare him, Isaac. So here we have Abraham fulfilling one of the parts that he was supposed to do. When God told him and told Sarah that she was going to bear a son, he told them both, you're going to name him Isaac. Right? That's what you're going to name him, okay? Now, I want to read you a little note on the name of Isaac, just, for, uh, just in case you forgot what it means, okay? Uh, there's a note here in the Reformation Heritage Study Bible on Isaac's name. Isaac mean, means he laughs, okay? A reminder both of their doubts, Chapter 17, verse 17, chapter 18, verse 12. Both of them had their doubts about how God was going to do this with these two old people, right? And they laughed. Both of them. So what does God want them to name the son? 
but he laughs. Who laughs? God gets the last laugh. God gets the last laugh because God proves both of them that nothing is impossible for the Lord and that God can do the most with the least. Amen? That's why he takes the least of the world to confound the wise, the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, the weak things of this world to, to confound the, the strong. Amen? Why does he do that? Because that ultimately brings all of the glory, all of the honor to God. Amen? Sarah, Sarah and Abraham couldn't be like, oh yeah, man, we still got it. No, they knew they didn't have it, right? Sarah knew she was waxed old and the time for bearing children was over. And the fact that they, get, they did have the child speaks to God and the supernatural responsibility God took in fulfilling the promise because these two couldn't do it without him. Amen? And that's what God does with every single person who comes to faith in Christ. They can't do it without him. We can't live a Christian life without him. We can't grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ without him. We can never get so high-minded about ourselves to think that the power and the will to do all of this comes from me. It comes from God. He's the only reason you will have anything that you ever possess. Amen? Sarah and Abraham could not take credit for this miracle. God gets all the glory, and that's the point. Verse 4. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God commanded him. Now, excuse me. Now here, Abraham is displaying his heart in following God's faithfulness by being faithful to what God commanded him to do. First of all, he names the son Isaac. Second of all, he circumcises the, his son Isaac. Eight days after he's born, just as God commanded him to do. Amen? Verse 5. Abraham's age points to the supernatural origin of the covenant seed. To God being the God of the impossible. The fact that Abraham and Sarah are this old points to the fact that that this is supernatural act of God that the seed of promise is coming into being only by a supernatural act of God. Amen? And this also points ahead to the seed of promise that would only come into existence but by an act of God. How did that happen? An angel showed up to Mary one day and said, Behold, Mary, the Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and you will conceive a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. Don't be afraid, because the, the thing that is born of you is of the Holy One of Israel. Amen? Another 
supernatural act to bring the seed of promise into the world. The whole Bible is a story leading to Christ. The story begins in Genesis. The seed began in the garden. Amen? The seed again is picked up here with Abraham. And we'll see in just a moment how this talk of a seed isn't necessarily just talking about Isaac. Okay? I wanted to go back real quick to where God first promises a seed to Abraham. Okay? The first mention of this seed is here in, uh, let's see. Now watch this. Verse 4 of chapter 15. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. And he's talking about Eleazar, right? But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Now he's just talking about an heir, right? He doesn't use the word seed. He's talking about Isaac. He says heir, right? And even in the verses that he mentions Isaac in chapter 17. You go back to chapter 17. <clears throat> he said, and I will bless her and give thee a son also from her and I will bless her and she shall be mothers of nations kings of people shall come out of her and Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart shall a child be born unto him right and then he asked about Abraham or Ishmael and he said God said thy wife shall bear thee a son and thou shalt call his name Isaac and I will establish my covenant with him for everlasting covenant and with his seed after him Every time the seed's talked about in Abraham's case, it's talking about in distance. There's a seed coming. Isaac was just the heir, the son of promise that was going to lead to the seed. You see this? Because the seed of promise in the Garden of Eden was not Seth. And the seed of promise with Abraham is not Isaac. Amen? The seed of promise is Christ. And I'll prove it in just a minute. Every time it's talked about, this seed is talked about singularly. Okay? In the singular form. Okay? Now watch. And it wasn't me who... Who discovered this, okay? This is not like Kevin's doctrine and, oh, look at this great thing that I discovered. Paul knew it. Paul taught it in Galatians. I don't want to uh, take all of Kyle's thunder from Galatians, so we're only going to talk on it really briefly, okay? Verse 6 of chapter 21. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. Now, this is not the same laughter of chapter 18. 
It's not the same laughter of chapter 17 of Abraham where they were doubting and laughing. But because she conceived and bore a son, the laughter that she now has is that God has had the last laugh and shown her that he's faithful. And now he's turned her laughter of doubt into laughter of exhilaration and joy and glory to God because God showed himself faithful. Now watch what she says. God have made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. What will they be laughing about? They'll be laughing and they'll be laughing with joy at the promise of God being fulfilled. Amen? That's absolutely what's taking place. Sarah said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have bore him a son in his old age. Now, I want to answer this question because it almost seems like a rhetorical question. Who would have said to Abraham and Sarah? Well, I know who said it. God said it. And he got the last laugh. And now your laughter has been turned from a laughter that doubts to a laughter of joy because God has fulfilled the promise that he gave you a year ago. Right? Verse 7. Uh, we already read verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. Now this gives us a glimpse into Hebrew culture about what they did when a child was weaned. What does it mean when a child's weaned? They start eating big people food, right? They're no longer taking breast milk. They're eating real food, right? So Isaac is old enough to stop breastfeeding, right? And he's weaned, which generally is a year and a half, two years, maybe three years old, right? Possibly, because some babies stay longer, right? Generally, it's about a year, year and a half maybe, right? So he's a year and a half, maybe two years old, and he's weaned. And this gives us an indication of how, what, what they did when the child was weaned. Isn't it interesting that they celebrated it doesn't even say they threw just threw a party, okay? It doesn't say they just had a feast. It says Abraham made a great feast, right? The same day that Isaac was weaned. Being weaned is a big experience, okay? When a child gets weaned, generally they're walking by then, right? Generally that means I don't have to carry them no more. They're a little more freedom of what the mother can do, what the father can do. You know what I mean? A child being weaned can just sit down and eat his own food, right? This is what's going on. He's weaned. He's eating big people food, right? Generally, it's when kids can feed theirself is when they're considered weaned, right? Even if they're still eating baby food, if they have to be fed the baby food, they're not really weaned. They're still, they're still taking nourishment by someone else's hand, right? Now that has nothing to do with the rest of the story in my opinion. I believe they put that in there for the information of how, uh, how they understood or what, what the thought process was for what happened when children were weaned. 
okay? And it goes with the next verse when uh, Ishmael starts to make fun of Isaac, right? We're not going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about that next week or what? what is today, Wednesday, Sunday night. So we'll talk about that Sunday night. But where I wanted to go with this is the New Testament application, okay? We talk about how God now has begun the ultimate promise of this seed, okay? The promise of Isaac was a promise that God was going to fulfill his promise to inherit the land through Abraham's seed, right? Now we know that Isaac necessarily does not get the land then, right? Jacob doesn't get the land. Joseph doesn't get the land, right? They're still sojourners all the way till they're taken to Egypt. When they come out of Egypt, they spend 40 years in the desert as a punishment before they go in to take possession of the land, right? So Isaac, while he is the son of promise to fulfill God's ultimate plan, he's not the seed that's inheriting the land. He doesn't inherit it. He doesn't. He does it. He's just a sojourner in the land, just like his father, Abraham. Jacob is just a wanderer, a sojourner in the land, just like Isaac. Amen? And Joseph, for all intents and purposes, spends most of his life in Egypt. And then Israel stays there 400 years and comes out. Spends 40 years in the wilderness and then go in to take the land, right? So we know Isaac isn't the seed. He's the heir right now, but he's not the seed, right? So I want to clarify who this seed is ultimately, okay? Because the Bible is a book about God's plan of redemption, amen? So we see God's plan of redemption, and I want to give you Paul's commentary on the promise to Abraham okay this is Paul's commentary it's in Galatians chapter 3 Kyle's going to get there eventually so uh, you'll have forgot that I even said any of this by then <laughs> but we're going to be in chapter 3 verse 16 now watch this this is Paul's words in Galatians 3 verse 16 now to Abraham and his seed were promises made he saith not and to seeds plural as of many but as of one and to thy seed which is Christ this is Paul's words not Kevin's so the seed promised to Abraham the singular seed that is always talked about in the singular form is Christ. Paul's words. And I say that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, 
The law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promises of no effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore, the uh, wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promises was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but of but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded, all are under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for, are, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now Paul sees through his vastly superior knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures than mine or yours because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees and knew the scriptures knew the law of God, knew the Old Testament, he looked back through the corridor of time to that chapter of Abraham. Every time God spoke to Abraham about a seed, and Paul said, that seed of promise is Christ. The seed of promise is Christ. And if we, are, if we have faith in Christ, he says, we're heirs. We are the seed of Abraham. And heirs according to the promise. You see, Isaac is just the beginning of this promise to bring into fruition the seed of promise, which is Christ. And people go, well, well, we're not inheriting uh, 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 um, the, the land of Israel. I beg to differ. Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. Isn't that what the Bible says? He's the heir of all things. And if we're Christ's, we're heirs of Abraham and heirs to the promise. And if Christ is the seed and he is the heir of all things, then we are the heir of all things. And I'm pretty sure the land of promise falls into all things. Can you get an amen out of that? <laughs> amen? So how does this apply? Why should, why should this give us 
comfort? How should we apply it to our life? Number one, it should give us comfort because God's faithfulness to keep his promise. Amen. God's love and compassion for his people was shown all throughout the ages and it culminated. God's love and faithfulness and grace and glory culminate in Jesus Christ. Amen. And those promises that are culminating in Jesus Christ that are yes and amen are to those who believe in Christ a great and bountiful promise that God is faithful. So it gives a whole new meaning when Paul says, he that began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And if you go back, Paul bases that on God's faithfulness to us in Christ. Amen? God's faithfulness to us in Christ. How should I apply that to my life? I can trust God in any circumstance. I can trust God when our church is barely full. I can trust God when the bank account's empty. I can trust God when all the world's against me. I can trust God when I'm sick, when I'm going through trial, tribulation. What can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? When God is so faithful to keep his promises, I can trust him. And it should give me great hope, a great expectation. And it should cause me to pray to this faithful God who hears me and longs to give me the kingdom, Luke says. Right? Your heavenly Father longs to give you the kingdom. God wants to give you the kingdom. He's not trying to withhold the kingdom from you. It's not his job to withhold it from you. Amen? That would defeat the purpose of saving you. It would defeat the purpose of winning you to withhold the kingdom from you. Amen? Let us understand God is faithful to complete his promises. He showed up. He, 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 it, I love that term. And the Lord visited Sarah. Just put your name there. In the, whatever problem you have in your life, I'm sure there's a story that said, and the Lord visited Carmen. And the Lord visited Kyle. And the Lord visited Mike. Why? Because the same God then is the same God now. He doesn't change. Behold, I'm the Lord thy God, and I change not. Amen. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. We can understand these with brand new zeal, and it gives us hope to go to God and ask God, a faithful God, for his hand, his help, his blessing, his favor, his grace, his mercy. Amen? Because he's faithful. Right? What does the Bible say? Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be opened. Right? Seek and you will find. 
Why? Not because you're seeking, not because you're asking, and not because you're knocking, but because God is faithful. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are faithful, that you fulfill every promise that you ever made. Lord, and that all the promises that are in Christ that you have promised to, to use us, to bring us into the image of Christ, to make us, mold us, and shape us into the image of him who loved us and gave himself for us. Lord, we know that you are and will continue to do that. Lord, help us to learn to trust you in the midst of any circumstance, understanding that the God that we serve is faithful. He's the only true and faithful God. He's the only one who made a promise and kept it. He's the only one who said and did exactly what he said. Father, help us to have a renewed understanding of what it means to be heirs of Abraham according to the promise because of our faith in Christ Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.